Welcome back, my friends, to the sweet spot where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Holton and Paul Lewis. Hey, Carlos, how are you? Very good. So, snow, no snow, sun, uh, whiskey, coffee. <laughs> so there's always whiskey, always. And not during business hours, time. never during business hours, but but once business hours are over, the whiskey can come out. Mm. Um, matter of fact, I, I've I've bought a, a couple of nice bottles lately, which is good. And I'm I'm going to uh, I'm going out of state to pick up a car this weekend. And my plan, since I'll be driving it back, is I've already planned out my little honey holes that I'm going to hit and try to pick up some some bottles I can't get it I can't get locally. I see. And is it? But it is very cold. Is this car unique in that you have to go that far in order to acquire it? Um, somewhat. Like I'm a car nerd. I think we've talked about that before on the podcast. I've owned 160 cars and 50 motorcycles in my life so far. Um, it's a thing that I like. And I was looking for a very, it's not that the car itself is hard to find. The configuration at the price I want has been very hard to find. Got it. And yeah. You know, plus I, I like the hunt in the same way. Like I'm not an alcoholic, right? I, I have three or four drinks a week, um, but I like the hunt um, versus, you know, the, the, the same kind of thing is true of cars, right? I like the hunt more than I like the, the car itself. Like that's a big part of it. And the ability to attach a road trip to a, to a car is great. I really like road trips. Do you, are you flying to this location and driving back? I am. I am. I'm flying to Seattle. Uh, I get in, um, in enough time. The goal was to get in, in enough time to make it to the bank that holds the note on the car so I can pay the bank off and then have the title and drive. Nice. That's going to be quite a trip. It should be a ton of fun. It should be it should be a whole lot of fun, and uh, I, I picked up some uh, some new GoPros, so I'm hoping to do some some uh, recording of the trip. And if something interesting happens, capture it. We're gonna we're gonna be driving. I got a friend that's going out with me, and we're gonna be driving through Montana on the way back. Um, northern Northern Washington, Northern Idaho, and Montana, um, which should be stunningly beautiful at this time of the year, especially with the recent weather. Mm. That'll be cool. So you have, you're going to put on the car. So you're going to get everything coming forward, backwards. You know, that would be a fun thing to hear you rambling all the way from Seattle yep. down to your home. Well, and the guy that'll be in the car with me is a, um, he's an attorney and we tend to have some, some interesting conversations in all honesty. There's a guy I normally do these road trips with. Um, he's, he, his mom is not, um, is not at the peak of health right now. Um, so he's not able to do it with me. Our conversations were really, really interesting. We're both comic book nerds. We're both really serious movie nerds. He's not a car guy at all, not even a little bit. He's owned two cars his in the entirety of his life and I got him his second car. <laughs> uh, right, um, but, but he's also a first generation American um right and his mom's from brazil he she speaks six languages seven languages something like that she was a translator for the pope when she worked 
Nice. With Palpatine. Um, and his kind of international experience um, has given him an interesting and different perspective than I have, right? Being a, a kind of a, a native born uh, American that comes from, uh, you know, my dad's side of the family came on the Mayflower. Right. Um, gives you an in, it's gives you an interesting perspective um and it's very very different right um i don't i don't want to get off on something else but but i'm a big believer in the american dream but but it's it's not the same that it used to be and his contention is um we sell it as though it's the same it should be and therefore we have a responsibility to those who come here seeking it hmm. Right, um, and he's one of the few people that have. It's, it takes time because he's because we're not the same, right? Um, but he's one of the few people that, upon reflection, has changed the way I, I think about how um, how we should act as a nation, how we should act as a people, and it makes for some really cool conversations. Lots lots of yelling. <laughs> immigration policy and, uh, and yeah, and it's all nuanced. Like I'm a I'm a huge fan of immigration. Um, this is a nation that was built off immigrants. This is a continent that was built off immigrants, right? Um, and we've talked about perspective and diversity before as it relates to a company, right? As it relates to a business, it's not different in a nation, right? Um, you need the new thought, you need the new ideas, you need um, things not bound by the same traditions to break you out of that calcification. Um, I'm a huge fan of diversity. I'm a huge fan of immigration. Um, how we go about it still needs to be intelligent and reasonable. Um, but to be honest, 10 years ago, my, my personal thoughts on immigration were a little too narrow, if I'm being honest. Got it. And I've since, I've since changed. And now that you're the man of the world, we've, we've, uh, three of us have, have spent time abroad in a variety of different places. And that might even change your perspective on sort of the multicultural value of uh, it, it it absolutely has right um there's nothing that's broadened my perspective on the world more than going to see the world right. um i i have to say from a from like a business standpoint let's say um maybe you're not the biggest traveler or maybe you want to see the entire world right i want to see the entire world but i hadn't really seen it before starting at itachi right. um the best advice that I can give someone, if you don't know where to go and you've got a whole list of places you want to go, go somewhere where people you work come from. Right. Right. Because you'll get an appreciation for the culture that they come from. Um, and it may help you understand some of the people that you work with more. Yeah. You're going to um, it directly. Yeah. Plus, there's no place in the world I've been where I'm like, I don't want to go back there. I don't ever want to see that country again. Right. Is there any place either of you've been where you're like, I don't want to go back to the country ever again? In fact, I haven't spent enough time in the places that I've been to. Right. Well, let's take India as an example. I've been there, let's say, 15 times. I still haven't seen as much as I want to be able to see because you're only there two, three nights, you know, two in, in a couple different cities. You still don't really see it. Right. The only place I've been that I would prefer not to go back, I'd, I, I would go back, I would go absolutely anywhere, is London. Hmm. And it's not because I dislike London at all. I, I rather enjoy London. It's because London is just enough like an American city. Like it's just comfortable enough, right? It's like, it's, it's, it's very much like putting on your dad's jacket, <laughs> right? 
Like it's not, it's not my jacket. I know it's not my jacket. I've never worn this style. I would never, it's a little old for me. Well, At the same time, it, it is still a jacket that I would be comfortable wearing, right? right? Um, it's roughly my size. It's, you know, it covers the things I want. The pockets are where I logically would find the pockets. Um, and, and the way I look at it is there's a limited amount of international travel I will have in my life. I'd really like it in places that push my perspective, that push my boundaries, that, that really, you know, that, that really teach me something about humanity, teach me something about the world, teach me something about the people that are there. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'd rather spend the time in Scotland, given the exact same number of hours on the plane or France or Spain or India, Thailand, Korea, right? There's, there's, there's no limit to the places that I would be willing to go. I, I adored Chile. I'd love to go back. India is one of my top five all-time favorite places. Carlos, you were about to say something. Yeah, so, so thinking about that, thinking about going to different places and learning from those, uh, we focus on technology and we focus about what is happening in the world, what other leaders are doing. So what will happen if your company gets affected by the decision of another company? Let's say that you're leveraging a service uh, online or in a data center and somebody decided to shut it down. What will that do to your company? I have no idea how you match those two. <laughs> so what I love about this is, is we know when Carlos, like when he starts his kind of connection discussion, when he's gonna, gonna make this transition and both you and I do the same thing. We both start to get this big smile that really I think comes from, we've done everything we can to be as non sequitur Right. In this transition as possible. And Carlos just grabs some moment and goes, This is this is my moment. This is the connective tissue that I see. I'm going with it. <laughs> that's right. Try to wrangle cats is a difficult <laughs> Oh, that's a great segue, Carlos. Why don't I talk about that for a second? <laughs> so yes, uh, we are gonna spend some time today to talk about some recent circumstances. Now, you know, most organizations have some sort of uh, cloud adoption strategy, right? They are uh, sometimes cloud first, they're sometimes cloud only, especially if they're greenfield, uh, or they're just uh, sort of cloud adjacent, right? They're, they're some of their workloads are gonna be in the cloud, but they're gonna be diversified to the cloud and to their data centers and to SaaS products and to the edge whole bunch of stuff, right? In fact, the bigger the company, the more likely they have diverse things and therefore, you know, they'll double. But it's a pretty big market, obviously is growing faster than any other type, but it's still only 4% of the market. Um, whenever I'm having conversations with people dabbling or people who are going full straight into the cloud, there's usually a economic conversation. In other words, is it faster, cheaper, sorry, is it cheaper uh, to operate in the cloud? Or there is a sort of agility conversation to say, can I do things faster once it's there? Um, and then there's this sort of the, the, the third column is the risk factor is, can I do it legally? Can I do it from a regulatory perspective? 
uh, is the risk in having the data or the applications run and managed by something else and so on and so forth. Oh, I would say there's also a currency conversation too, right? Like, yeah. like if my currency is real bad on premise, sometimes it's actually cheaper to move it all to the cloud sure. to bring it current and then continue the strategy to, to what is ultimately a hybrid kind of model. Yeah, 100%, that, that, that's reasonable. Uh, and it's fair to say that those are all realistic, reasonable conversations to have because sometimes one of the three or two of the three aren't actually true, where it in fact costs more to go in the cloud um, or it is more difficult or be, I, because I have to spend much more money to modernize or re-architect the application that it's impossible to do. Or in fact, there is some legal or contractual obligation to which I actually can't move the data there. You know, it's not always true, but let's say there are circumstances where in fact might be true. So uh, recently, um, you know, large organization, uh, well, I wouldn't say large organization, a prominent organization, social media organization was uh, removed from public cloud, AWS, uh, for going against the terms of service. Uh, they went through the legal process of of uh, sort of removing the runtime from that environment. Um, and in fact, they were shut down. Now, since then, they've in fact found alternative cloud providers and they will be up and running shortly and having those services available. But there was, you know, weeks, if not months in between when they're operating and now when they're back operating again. Should we consider that the, when you run in the public cloud, you're running under the public cloud's terms of service should that be an additional risk as me as a bank or a telco or a hospital that I now need to consider above and beyond just the risk of having somebody else operate my application? That's, that's the topic of the day. So, so let's just jump right in because um, for, for, for our viewers, this is, the goal is not to be political in this conversation. It, it's really not. Um, the reason it's taken us so long to get around to this is because we didn't want it to be close to the political conversation. Mm -hmm. Not a First Amendment conversation. It's not right or wrong. Um, it's simply a thing occurred to a business that removed the business from operating. Right. Because the only way they operated was, was online. Um, and to, to specifically address your question, I think no with an asterisk mm -hmm. is the answer to that question. The fact of the matter is Amazon, Google Cloud, um, Azure, they're all in business to keep businesses running. The, their business model falls completely apart if they start meddling in the businesses that operate. That being said, they have terms and conditions that protect their business in the same way you have terms and conditions that protect your business. Right. Right. Um, and so it does behoove you to be aware of what their T's and C's are especially the more fringe your business is. An example, right? Um, many, many US states and the government of Canada have said marijuana is legal. Right. Within the United States, it is federally illegal. Other nations, it is still illegal. Yep. That being said, if you are operating a business that sells, promotes whatever marijuana, you may find yourself in the situation where you're violating terms and conditions, and thus it behooves you to understand the terms and conditions. Right. right? Um, if you're selling a service that is an online bank that, that looks the same as every other online bank, 
for all intents and purposes, um, for all legal intents and purposes, then the chances of you violating terms and conditions are very, very low. Still, take some time to understand them. Right. But it's, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd even add it to the risk column in that case. Right. Um, I think for the most part, if you're not pushing fringe, fringe activity or fringe ideals, um, I don't think the terms and conditions of online services even fall into the risk category. Um, that being said, it's not, it, it, I don't think it ever actually does fall into the risk category. I think it falls into, we comply with the terms and conditions, therefore it's not a risk, or we don't comply with the terms and, and, and conditions, in which case it's not an option. Right, because right? a risk is something we can overcome. Yeah. Right, a risk is something we acknowledge and we compensate for it in the following way. Right, we the risk of data loss we compensate with data protection. Right, right, the risk of outage we compensate with resiliency. Right, right, you cannot do this. We don't compensate by doing it. Right, we find an all we find an alternative. So, so I, I think for the most part the answer is no. That being said, there's kind of nuance to everything. And if we move to another example, right, and we look at um, GME and the trading around the GameStop stock, yeah. um, the traders were shut down on Robinhood, right? The retail traders were shut down on Robinhood. And there's been a lot of discussion about the actions of retail traders and specifically those that started the run on GameStop. Now the SEC is currently investigating Reddit to see if trading advice was given, legal term, trading advice has a very specific set of requirements because- You're on mute. Because Reddit is not a trading platform. Right. Um, the people that kind of started it are not certified financial advisors working through a financial advice platform. And so the question is, was that legal, right? And so while this is not going to get Reddit shut down, right? That's not the that's not really the risk. Reddit no longer being able to do to do business, um, it may force Reddit to take other action to prevent this sort of thing from happening in the future. Uh, I, I hope not, but that's not the purpose of this conversation, right? The purpose of this conversation is the technical requirements and the business requirements. And so at that point, I think now we're back into a gray fringe area where you have to look at it and go, does my business do something where my business may not be fringe activity, right? An internet chat room that doesn't promote any particular type of conversation that makes their money off of ad revenue right, fits well within Amazon or Google or Azure's um, terms and conditions, but now I'm enabling users to carry, to create and carry content, does that promote, does that add risk? Does that add challenge, right? And I think, I think it's a really good idea to, to really think about what services you're really offering, what you're really trying to do and determine, you know, a, a, do a really good kind of grading system of do we fit in a fringe activity? Is there any possible way um, we fit a fringe activity where um, the fact of existing within fringes, um, especially in this day and age, does add risk? Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd use the word fringe, but I, I probably frame it as 
either bad actors or bad faith actions, right? So uh, the reality is there are terms of service in a cloud offering. There are terms of service in a colo offering. There are terms of service of products that you acquire and install in your data center, right? The reality is, and you know, there are varying degrees of impact if I choose to go against those terms of service. But the reality is if I'm either a bad actor, i.e. I'm using this infrastructure for the purpose of um, you know, surveillance or using it for the purpose of stealing data from other people, or I'm performing you know, bad actions or bad faith, uh, then, uh, then I have consequences for that. Realistically, most organizations that exist for the purpose of earning revenue and having customers and delivering on some profitability for investors aren't bad actors and aren't implementing bad faith um, and therefore probably um, won't go against the terms of service. And even if they come up to the edge of those terms of service, there's appropriate remedies within each one of those contracts. It's not an immediate removal of that service from the internet. It is a series of conversations and a series of warnings, potentially even a series of legal, uh, you know, documents and 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 sort of actions, motivated conversations, and therefore, uh, you know, you have lots of time to remediate anything that you think is sort of coming up on the line. So I agree with you that it's not really a risk, especially if you exist for the purpose of creating value for customers. You're you're not even going to come close to that line. It's just interesting about what you're saying, that you can have that conversation to be able to then make remediation, but should a company have a plan B when they decide to leverage services outside of their control? I mean, to Paul's point, though, almost all services are outside of our control. Right. right. Like, okay, I control the rack. I can control the server itself. Um, like I, I have the ability to turn it on. I have the ability to turn it off. And, and really, um, if it's my data center, no one else can turn it off, but they, but they can turn off the least line that I use to get to the rest of the world. Right. Telco right? change. Like, the like the, yeah, the, the truth is outside of my own local area network, I'm relying on someone else to provide some service somewhere that I could theoretically violate the terms and conditions of. Again, that be, that's why I use the term fringe. I, I don't think it's fringe from a moral aspect. I'm not making a judgment, right? Right. But simply from a terms and conditions standpoint, um, from kind of, you know, uh, uh, Comcast is not going to betray their core business, right? Right. Um, and so they're not going to betray the McDonald's of the world. They're not going to betray the Wells Fargo's of the world. They're not going to betray anyone that exists within the realm of, we don't question this. It's a service that's regularly provided, right? It's when you start to get into things that, that would be considered fringe activities, right? I have no problem with marijuana. I think it should be federally legal. That's not my point, right? My point is it's a jurisdictional nightmare. And therefore, I, I personally would see it as a fringe activity. And therefore, I would want to double click on the terms and conditions. I don't think, um, I don't think companies that, are, that, that currently own and operate marijuana or marijuana-focused businesses violate the terms and conditions of 
hundred percent of what they do at all. And, and I don't, I would never classify them as bad actors at all. Right. right? But I'm also not the one making the judgment on, on, for anyone on any case. Right. And so I really would look at those terms and conditions and see, you know, what, if something changes negatively, right. If regulation changes negatively, if a new law is passed that affects us negatively, how does that affect the services to which we subscribe that are bound by terms and conditions? And I think, and, and, and that is specifically what I mean by fringe, right? Yeah. If, if, um, if a conservative government takes over the US um, and federalization for legalization of marijuana is completely off the table, do they have the ability to pass a new anti-marijuana um, commerce law, as an example, right? In which case that could suddenly become very regulated because a website isn't localized to a state, it's available to the world, right? right? And I think that's really like to, to, to expand on what I'm talking about when I say fringe, that's what I mean. I don't mean fringes of society. I don't mean, right? I just mean sure. if the potential exists for you to fall into a gray area of legislation, I think it's worth taking an extra look and saying, um, is there risk here? And, and to Carlos's point, what's our plan B? Because our plan B can't be we just push ahead, right? Because right? to our point, right? You don't actually have control over everything, right? So our plan B needs to be, how are we going to address this? And that might be, we get legal spun up now Right, that very well might be, we make sure that our legal team understands the technology, understands how the technology works and understands the context around what we can control and what we cannot control and is prepared to make said argument if it comes up and do it the first time. Because to your point, um, violation of terms and conditions isn't generally a once and done. It's generally a multi communicative process, right? It's a multi-strike process. That's right. You've, you know, here's your, here's your first warning, here's your second warning, here's your third warning, you won't get a fourth warning kind of thing. Um, and so legal should be prepared before the first warning comes. Especially if, uh, to use your terminology, you believe your business is already on the fringe, right? That you are going to come up close to the line on any of these major cloud providers, that you know that either the actions of yourself or the actions of users of your service will in fact be controversial enough that you might go against these terms of service. You better be pretty clear what you think the potential impacts going to be going forward and prepare for plan B's and plan C's. And if you already believe that you're already going to come up close to the line, then I'm not sure why you'd even choose that service in the first place. Sure. If you think you're that close. But, but then there's, then there's the other side, right? Where the line is a moving, is, is in fact a moving target, right? And so I'm gonna go back to Reddit as an example. Yeah. Because six months ago, um, I don't think Reddit looked and said, hey, there is the possibility that we're going to get investigated by the SEC for information on a place called Wall Street Bets about a desire, a stated desire to lose money. Right. That was their stated desire. Their stated desire is to lose money, right. not to make money. They're not giving financial advice, quite the opposite. They, they say, all of this will lose money. Do not invest. This is not what we do here. 
Um, so I don't think Reddit six months ago said, hey, I think this line's going to move, we need to take action. But I do know the morning that Robinhood shut down trading, they were having a conversation at some point that morning. And that's probably the time where you get, you know, you ensure that the technologists and legal are communicating really, really well. Right. Um, I'm a big fan of communication with legal, right? One of the guests we've had on here was an attorney, a privacy attorney. Um, and I think, I think from an executive leadership standpoint, it really is a good idea to establish those, those bonds with legal and ensure you have some appreciation for what they're looking at and they have some appreciation for what you do and you start building this bond between legal and technology so y'all y'all better understand kind of what's going on within each other's landscape that might affect the business might affect the company because it's entirely possible legal doesn't see it because they don't have visibility to it right uh, and therefore a conversation is worth it and then vice versa right legal legal very well may see something um, and interpret the way it affects technology very, very different than the reality. And some sort of sync up would be a, would be something that I would highly recommend for, for really for anyone that that's in an executive leadership position in, in technology. And, and we know that the three big sort of cloud providers have armies of legal. So you know that the, the documents that have been written are, are uh, probably cited to them however, are very, very clear on both the impact and the action or the process, if in fact there was any bad faith or bad actors, which is helpful because they're likely to implement the same process and the same impact across their hundreds of thousands of clients, right? Knowing that they're going to have a far more diverse set of clients than you will as an individual company uh, uh, submitting your processes on these clouds, uh, that they fully appreciate and like they, they're not likely to make um sort of transactional decisions they're not going to likely make a geopolitical decision on this one particular customer of theirs as compared to you who might change your business based on different clients who sort of use your service for sure which is helpful for sure and and one of the things that i would say going into agreements going into the negotiation around that is look at yourself versus that company Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and do some quick math. You can Google them and find out how big they are. If they're within one quarter your size or four X your size, you could consider them same size. If they're smaller than that, they're smaller than you. And thus your position is likely better. If they're larger than that, then they're much larger than you. And you can consider your negotiating position worse. And that specifically has play when we're talking T's and C's. Mm -hmm. Smaller companies will often negotiate their T's and C's. Right. Larger companies will almost always say no. <laughs> right. Right. Um, the likelihood that a $4 billion company is going to be able to negotiate with Amazon on their T's and C's is effectively zero. Right. Right. It, versus... The, the likelihood that you're spending four billion on Amazon increases your ability to affect those T's and C's, right? right? So it, it is worth considering, and 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 that actually brings me to another kind of component of this. Um, in whenever I'm looking at an outside contractor, whenever I'm looking at a consulting organization or something to come in and help my business, and this would include something strategic like a cloud provider. 
it's worth considering, is there someone roughly sized better to me that I would be smarter to negotiate with? Right. Right. I, I always want to feel like I'm of strategic value to this partner, not I'm just another customer and, and my bigger competitor is the strategic partner. Right. right. It's always worth having that conversation. Sometimes you just don't have the ability. You're a huge Microsoft shop. Microsoft's making you a deal on Azure spend. Okay. Right. But you have to understand wh where you are in that position, right? What the value position you're in is versus um, I'm looking for someone to consult with to help me move to Azure. I might want to consider someone that's a little bit more appropriately sized for me. So I'm a big customer to them. And I'm a big and I'm a strategic partner to them. It, it is fair to say it is very difficult to be a big customer to Google or Amazon or Microsoft. It's almost impossible to be a big customer. Like there are a handful of organizations that might be considered a big customer. Sure. You're probably not one of them, right? So <laughs> presume, presume you're going to be a small fish in a very big pond or that you're going to subdivide um, what customers mean to them. Right. You might be the biggest uh, tier two bank in their financial services arm in their customer segment. Great. You'll be treated like that. But you're probably not Bank of America or Wells Fargo or Deutsche Bank or you're not those. And therefore, sure. you're not going to get the same kind of sort of pricing and TNC privilege to support that. And there, and there is value, too, in being a small company yeah. that isn't Wells Fargo size, but has a very powerful name, right? Right, Like Amazon or Netflix 10 years ago did not have the buying power of Wells Fargo 10 years ago right. and yet would have been a marquee account. Uh, eBay would have been a marquee account, right? Um, and so there is some value in being a marquee account, um, but if you don't fit the marquee account, in which case, you know, you're a marquee account and you don't fit the, I'm so large, it actually matters for their bottom line, um, then I would put that under the risk column. Right. And, and the risk isn't that Amazon's going to go away. The risk isn't that Amazon's going to treat you poorly. That is not the risk at all. Yeah. Right. However, the risk is there might be some inconsistency in the delivery team. Mm -hmm. Right. You may not have dedicated resources for the next five years that are the same person. Right. Whereas Wells Fargo does have the ability to say, you're not going to lose that person. I consider them to be important. And Amazon will go out of their way to ensure that person doesn't leave. And they probably work in the office of Wells Fargo. Correct. <laughs> That's the kind of dedication you'll receive. 100%. First Bank of Wawa probably does not get that privilege. Right. Right. <laughs> if you even go outside of the uh, inside sales representatives. Right. right. So looking at all this, leaders need to be looking at getting their business and moving forward and taking that next step. Because sometimes, like I think that Paul mentioned at the beginning, moving to the cloud may be a jump from where they are. Should they have a phase approach to moving to the cloud? Should they be thinking about moving everything? Because then they could affect their whole business. Should they always keep something that say, we're not gonna touch this, it's gonna stay inside, we're not gonna move it. Or should everything be on the table, but have different strategies? So, so I, I personally believe that there is a 
a risk, an architectural, and an economic angle to any move to any destination. That destination might, in fact, be consuming SaaS services instead of building your own. Or it might be a public cloud, or it might be the edge, or it might be another colo, because I don't like the colo I have now. Or actually bringing all that back in, because I have I've such a decent amount of automation, I could do it myself. Those are all perfectly reasonable decisions to make, uh, but it's based on the tolerance of those three sort of big things that you have. Uh, I don't think, unless you're a startup, a greenfield, where it doesn't make a lot of sense to invest a lot of capital, where cloud only, cloud first is your best bet anyway. Yeah, but there are clear advantages if you have the architectural and economic and risk quotient to move into the cloud, absolutely. But not all workloads, not all companies, not all customers, not all data. Is it appropriate? I would say if your technology spend is is a relative is, is a small, very small percentage of your overall revenue, and you're kind of a sub fifty million dollar company. So, like, if you're a sub fifty million dollar company and your tech spend outside of people is in the quarter million dollars a year range, hundred percent right. cloud is probably great. Sure. And you could probably do 100% one cloud vendor with, some, with, a, with a few SaaS offerings and be really, and be really good. And I think the risk there um, is relatively low and your risk tolerance is likely very high because you probably don't have very many people. Right. right? Um, and so the, the resiliency of the infrastructure is going to be better because there's 10,000 engineers working on it. The resiliency of, this, of the network is going to be better, 10,000 engineers. The security is likely to be better by default because you're starting from a platform built by 10,000 engineers. Right. That being said, as you turn those dials, right, total revenue and percentage in technology, um, you start to increase the cost dramatically and increase the risk dramatically of single service cloud provider value. Mm -hmm. um, and and kind of to your point, um, I, I think if you could wrap your arms around all of your technology in a weekend and move all of that technology to a cloud vendor, your, your infrastructure is probably small enough that sure, you can go ahead and do that. Right. The number of companies that are likely listening to this podcast that fit into that bucket, I would say are, are single hand max, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and in that case, a phased approach is almost always the best approach. Um, where I see the most mistakes are, are people thinking a lift and shift is the way to go um, or not really understanding how their applications interact and what I call the holistic application and only moving a piece mm -hmm. because they don't understand it. That's things are going to break. And the natural reaction to that isn't a snapback, isn't a clawback, right? We're now running this back on premise, but rather um, it's generally uh, a workaround to security to enable the communication um, so the business is working as fast as possible, right? right? That's a bad decision, right? So um, ideally take twice as much time as you think you might possibly need on the planning side. Every minute spent in planning will get you 10 back in, in implementation. And it really should be an 80-20. You should spend 80% of your time planning and documenting your move and testing and 20% doing it. Yep. Agreed. There you, there you have it, my friends. Look into how your T's and C's can affect you so you don't get cut in the middle of the night so your services 
will not affect your customers. So as always, make sure that you subscribe and you share this podcast, this video with your team so we can continue to grow and be the leaders that we could be. We'll see you on our next episode.